Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. I, I saw him come out of a, a box at one point, one of the boxes in the theater, mask and all. And it is the Phantom of the Opera. God damn it. <laughs> he sat me down, this this man in the mask, and he, he worked from memory, but he said he, he was recalling something from a play. Someone is trying to make something happen that is not simply going to have consequences for a small handful of people or even just for us. It will potentially be consequential for perhaps all of the city, all of the city of Paris, perhaps even the world. Fail to see how the responsibility of the protection of the entire world or Paris or life as we know it falls to three art students. Because if we don't do it, Don, who will? My first thought is we have to stop the production somehow. I am more than happy, Monty, more than happy to destroy this libretto. I would be happy to destroy each and every libretto that exists. <laughs> to strike a blow against opera. <laughs> it feels like this whole thing is an infection. It feels like something that if it gets out, it can't be stopped. If your friends walk into this again and they don't come out do you think that you could live with that if you didn't go along boston massachusetts july 10th 1895 father alex sicard was soaking wet by the time he reached the stairs of the newly opened home of the boston public library in copley square he had decided to walk from the train station, which perhaps had been a mistake. But Father Sicard was thankful for the rain all the same. It made the long overcoat and hat he wore less conspicuous, even in the middle of the summer, than they would have been if the sun had been shining. As he walked through the heavy wooden doors to the central library, he removed his soaking overcoat, but kept his hat on and pulled down low, keeping his face partially hidden. He had come all this way, and couldn't afford to be seen now. He deposited his coat in the coat room, looked around for a moment, careful to keep his eyes low and then made his way into the sprawling main room of the library. Father Sicard hadn't made the journey to America before, and he was surprised at how easy it had been. Just more than a week on the water and a couple of trains later, and he had arrived in Boston. Perhaps he would make the journey again someday, and hopefully he'd be able to see more of the sights next time. This time, he'd come for a specific purpose, and he needed to stay focused. More than once during the journey, Father Sicard had questioned that purpose, and he was still questioning it now. He had been given conflicting reports, conflicting narratives, and it was difficult not to wonder if he had put his faith in the right person. But no, he had prayed and prayed, and he felt sure. He wouldn't have come if he hadn't. And now that he had arrived, it did no good questioning himself anymore. Father Sicard had made sure he was one of the first people to enter the library when it opened that morning. So he spent some time strolling through the aisles, breathing in the stale book smell he loved so much. He kept his eyes low, making sure that his hat stayed pulled down to cover his face. I doubt it'll be here yet, he thought, but you can never be too careful. After a few hours had passed, Father Sicard was ready. He started working his way around the edges of the main stacks, glancing down each aisle as he passed, looking for the man he knew would be arriving here today, just as he had each day for the past week. Sure enough, before long, Father Sicard spotted him, Donald Braith, scanning a row of books with a frantic look in his eye. Father Sicard moved quickly past the end of the aisle, circling around so that he could stay out of sight but still see Donald when he moved out of the row of books. Moments later, with a stack of books in hand, Donald walked purposefully, and without noticing much around him, Father Sicard thought, out of the stacks and toward the reading room. Father Sicard followed, setting himself up in the reading room far enough away that he didn't risk Donald noticing him, but close enough that he could keep his eye on the young man. Good, I found him, Father Sicard thought as he breathed a sigh of relief. And then, for the rest of the day, until the reading room closed and Donald stood up to leave, Father Sicard sat and he watched.
So I think all of you have had a just had a chance to listen back to the first season. I know that I've talked to all of you about different parts of the first season. I'm wondering, is there anything that you kind of took away from the experience of the first season or re-listening or anything like that, like something you learned or made you think or something that you didn't realize while it was happening and then realized after listening back, anything like that? Other, of course, than Mikey con- accusing me of editing out something, which I did not edit out, which will, will Big for the end beat. of time, be our be our, uh, our sticking point. I kicked that inkwell into the water, folks. Don't let him lie to you. <laughs> um, I was surprised in listening back. I was, like I said, I was surprised at just how compelling everything was. But I was also really, I didn't ex- anticipate that I had just subconsciously decided to deliver all my lines like William Shatner. Like it really, it, I heard it in the first episode and I was like, oh no, there's no way. And then I listened to every episode with an ear towards it. And literally I, I would just do like the, but what are we doing? Like there was those, those like pregnant pauses and like, it's, it's fine. And I, this is how I rationalized it in my head. It's like, everybody makes fun of William Shatner, but it's, was Star Trek was melodramatic. He was acting melodramatically. Like that's the whole thing. And radio plays are melodramatic. So it was, I was like, okay, I'll just, that's fine. But then the other thing was, one night, in, I was playing a game with uh, Tommy and, and our, my, my brother, and I made a joke about, like, ah, yeah, I didn't kind of realize I sound like Frasier. And Tommy was like, oh, I genuinely thought that your voice in the season, like you were doing a Frasier voice. <laughs> that's why you were talking. He was like, I just thought that that was the inspiration for the voice. And I was like, oh, he's doing a, a decent Frasier. <laughs> I was like, no, that was a that's totally subconscious. Uh, Frasier somewhere, somewhere in there, there has to be like the cut. I'm listening. Yes, <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely Mentioned many times where I just explained. Father Niles, I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> and reacted, you know, lowbrow way to a highbrow high drinks. You know what I mean? Like just I some classic phrase. Schick. I didn't real. No, I had no idea. And that was it. it was very funny to me when Tommy said to like oh no i th- i just thought that's what you were going for so hey i did a good william F- william frazier yes the combo yeah william frazier. shatner crane <laughs> the classic shatner crane yeah the rare <laughs> i think for me i realized i i it wasn't i i was only sort of passingly aware of it in the moment but i realized um more so as we were listening to it, that we made a lot of big decisions, <laughs> sort of, yes, as, yes. as things went along. Ma- many big we made decisions. A lot of big choices, um, <laughs> which was great. And, like, I, I it, it helped make for enjoyable listening uh, in listening back to it. But I, I was one of the, not something I fully registered as we were doing it. I was just sort of mm-hmm. like, let's respond and do this thing. But uh, it was it was very interesting listening back and being like, oh, yeah, we really made some choices during this season, didn't we? And in character, which I think is why. Mm. What would you say was the biggest choice you made? The, was I mean, it killing a child? <laughs> or was what? there something more? That kid was dead before <laughs> the story started. Like, character-wise, no. To me, like, character-wise, <laughs> not actually the biggest. Character-wise, no. it was the, like choosing to put my like it was the end thing of choosing to put my writing implements away and like try to paint but um you know i can also see why some people would be like i don't know i feel like killing a kid's kind of a big thing you know i was down i mean i guess it's true that that is kind of something that occurred to me like as i was listening was the extent to which francis was kind of continually shocked (laughs) by by (laughs) everything happening lots of gasps (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of gasps. There was a lot of like of of reluctance to like embrace the like these are dangerous people and like something bad needs to happen to them. But like it's also true I didn't stop ya. I didn't like <laughs> jump in front of any of those <laughs> no, guns. I didn't I didn't ever say anything. So it's it's very interesting the, to me the extent to which like Frances thought that she was not doing that, but she was definitely part of it. <laughs> And then there's Donald's tendency to just walk away, to just to just, <laughs> to just head out. Yep. yep. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to do my own now. thing. Yep. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> it's true. That's the drinking game. That's like if we if we if we all survive and do another season of this, like that will be a fully formed drinking game of how often yes. Donald just exits scenes. 
<laughs> or threatens to exit scene. Yeah, I'm gonna exit this scene. <laughs> How often Monty Hogg speaks in a reassuring Southern tone, so you'll be yes. lit yeah. Fair. the whole time. You'll be unconscious. <laughs> The moments where you can picture Monty Hogg reaching and doing the two-handed handshake, or like you just mm-hmm. before with the one hand <laughs> and the other one on the yep. arm. Yep. <laughs> Monty Hogg actually it is going to turn out, folks. Big spoiler is a Clinton ancestor. Pretty exciting. <laughs> That's true. That's right. Have you have you seen Uncle Bubsy since the recording? Did you tell him that he that I he's a star? I forgot about your Uncle uh, Bubsy. I have not, although uh, my mother is probably visiting with him right now. She's down in Charleston at the moment, seeing her brother and her family that's down there. So I'll ask how he is when I talk to her next. (laughs) Did your mom listen to the season? She did not, no. She's not a big podcast. I don't think she's ever listened to a podcast. Fair enough. (laughs) Do you think she could download a podcast if if you were like, hey, you should go do this? Do you think she could pull it off? 100% 100% no. <laughs> Absolutely not. 0% chance. I hate to counteract, but she is a, an avid listener and subscriber and one of the active members of the subreddit for Cool Dad's Basement. <laughs> She's one of the active shit posters on the Yeah, forum. she says a lot of really mean <laughs> things about me. It's like the Opie and Anthony subreddit thing. It immediately turned against me, and it's only her posting, like, really mean memes. Like, they cut to the quick. They're not nice. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. Let me put it this way. My sister got my mom a plane ticket recently and got, like, just did the got the confirmation number and everything and, like, sent the confirmation number to her. And my mom was panicked, being like, what do I do with this? What is this? Like, what do I, what am I supposed to do with this, like, number and this information that I was sent? Oh, bless. <laughs> You're supposed to get on the plane and you're supposed to listen to your son's podcast. That's right. <laughs> Download it all right. in advance so you can responsibly yeah. so you turn can your listen. phone onto airplane. Download it. You don't have to listen to it. We just need the numbers. <laughs> just write a review. How hard is it? <laughs> Why isn't everyone I know writing reviews? How hard could it be? Smash that like and subscribe. Come on. I got to say it. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed, Eric, that you don't start out these with, all right, everybody, here we are, we're doing our, we're going to open up with a little banter, we're going to do top ten favorite movies, and then I want you to smash that like and subscribe. What is up, game heads? I'm the game master. I suck. Post some video versions with a big goofy thumbnail. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you gotta look like you have to look like you are disgusted. It's, It's like... But the thing is, like, oh, there's a new Fortnite skin. What, like, what is it? Is it an unknowable horror? Like, why are you making that face? They're like ripping their flesh off, and it's like, oh, it's it's Peter Griffin. Whoa! Really, it's all been connected. Unspeakable horrors. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. Family yeah, that's guy. What, that's, it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Family Guy. It all links back up. <laughs> all right, so. We're going to pick things back up. Our three American art students in Paris are back on the trail of something horrifying and unknowable. Monty and Francis are currently backstage at the Palais Garnier, uh, trying to figure out a little bit more about what's going on with this upcoming performance of Casilda. They've just been informed that the the lead in Casilda, a woman named Celeste, actually has a minor role in the in the opera that's currently performing, Elle. And so they, I think they're considering sticking around. Meanwhile, Donald went to the, went to Notre Dame to see Father Sicard. He stayed for a full, a full mass and then talked with Father Sicard, who I think has, I think has motivated Donald to uh, rejoin the investigation with vigor. Uh, And before he heads back to the Palais, he, I think, is going to stop at the the florist where uh, Father Sicard let him know that Celeste's former uh, boyfriend or or someone that she had some sort of romantic relationship with works uh, at his grandfather's flower shop. Um, but before we, I think, go to Donald, I think we're going to go back to Francis and Monty. Um, is there anything else you want to talk to Xavier about uh, in in the in the back, or do, are you going to leave and move on from there? I'm I'm curious if there's any world in which we can get the 1895 equivalent of backstage passes. Like if if there's a connection that he can broker for us, essentially, 
that would like let us come back here again and potentially wander a little as much as we possibly can kind of around here. I'm also wondering if there's anyone else, like if he could introduce us to anyone else back here who might have more relevant information. Yeah, the only yeah. people that he has any real connection to, and this is very loosely, are uh, Larson Yu and mm-hmm. Piku, uh, who mm-hmm. he would say are kind of in full swing of getting ready for tonight's performance. But Francis, how would you want to kind of, how would you try to broach the topic of seeing if he could kind of vouch for you in being mm. back there? Um, what an excellent question. I think that I don't know how honest I want to be, actually. We like this guy, but we're not particularly close to him. I mean, I think she would she would probably actually go the tack of um, throwing her pen on the ground. Um, but after she does that, <laughs> um, I think she would... Safia, I, can I beg a favor? I mean, you say that you're potentially interested in moving on. And I mean, I, I must say, I, I'm, I know that the current job has not been as artistically fulfilling as you would like. But, I mean, I'm, I'm potentially interested in, in dabbling a bit. Perhaps not at this level, but at, at some other theatrical venue or operatic place somewhere else. Is there any possible way that it would be all right if, if we could stick around and kind of soak up the atmosphere, wander around a little bit, get the lay of the land and all those, those sort of things? If you'd like to spend one of your pushes, uh, you uh, can yeah, convince Xavier to vouch for the two of you in back here um, if anyone asks. Yeah, I think that's worth it. I think we need to be able to to be around this place. I shall do that. Yes, so he uh, he will vouch for you. He'll say that you're, you know, you came to deliver supplies or something else that makes sense in the context if anybody yeah. asks why you're back there. I trust his knowledge. All right. Anything else that the two of you want to do? the The show probably doesn't start for another couple of hours, and of course, Donald is Donald is not 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 with you. It sounds as though we have been given something of a free reign to uh, explore back here a little bit. So perhaps we will take these uh, the next couple of hours before the show to um, see what is what. Potentially of the backstage, and potentially of the box, the the Duke's mm. box. That's true. We could. We may be able to do get a, a lay of the land up there, see if there's anything up there that tells us anything. Yeah, it seems the further ahead of the actual performance we are, I think the the more likely that is to be not not a busy place, judging from any theater I've ever been in. Would you like to start there? And then we can come Let's back try. here shortly, a little more shortly before the performance? Yes. All right. All right, so I'm going to come back to the two of you, and so we will switch over to, to Donald, who I believe is heading to... Uh, the flower shop um, to find uh, to find Albert. So, Donald, you when you arrive at the florist shop, you walk in and there's a young man, kind of classically handsome, who at the moment is kind of flustered because a matronly woman is scolding him for giving her incorrect change, and you know he kind of blushes and allows her to continue kind of taking her abuse in stride and just says yes madame I, I understand i'll i'll fix it just a moment and kind of and gets gets the correct change and kind of ushers her out of the flower shop and when once once she walks out he kind of like breathes a sigh of relief and looks around and says yes sir can i can i help you with something hi a difficult customer there i suppose yes well you know, some people just like to complain. Whatever they can find to complain about, they'll do it. I know, and imagine having a complaint about something as stupid as flowers. I <laughs> am here to, uh, today, I am actually, I represent a an, a writer, uh, a local uh, writer, um, um, who is interested in doing a piece on the the opera that's going up, and, and well, we heard uh, from from some good sources that you might have uh, knowledge of and relationship with its star, the, the this young the ingenue, I suppose, who is who is making her big leading role debut in this in this show. That would be someone I think my my author friend would very much like to speak to. When you mention that, he kind of looks you up and down, looks toward the door to see if anybody else is around. Like he, it's almost as if like he feels like he's being set up in some way. And he says, uh, I, I'm not sure why you've come here 
she she ended things. She hasn't spoken to me, just like I'm sure your master wants. And he kind of like looks at you accusatorial, accusingly. My my master, my master. I I'm here on behalf of of a Montgomery Hog, and I would not call that man master of anything. <laughs> oh. Wait, but you don't you don't work for the Duke? N- no, young man, I do not work for the Duke. <sighs> okay, sorry. I I I guess I just assumed he's when you said a writer. I I, I guess I just kind of assumed he's the one that, well. He's been causing me some some issues and some been causing me and and Celeste some some issues in our relationship as well. You know, you're not the first uh, uh, first person to talk about that the, the Duke to me today. I've heard quite a few people mention that he is he's causing quite a few problems. So it doesn't seem like you're alone in all that. Uh, was he just meddlesome in terms of getting involved and keeping your his his leading lady away from the the riffraff of the outside world? Yes, well, when she came in to see me the last time, she said that she was moving on to to bigger and better things and that she had this new tutor who was going to turn her into a star and she she told me that I I shouldn't try to find her anymore. Shouldn't try to come see her anymore. Did you try to go and see her after that? And he like closes his eyes and it's clear that like what you just said kind of touched a nerve and he says no, I I didn't go to see her. It, all of this is my fault. I I shouldn't have just let her go. I I I'm a, I'm a coward. I'm a coward. I, I no, I haven't tried to see her. I I'm I I haven't done anything about it. But oh, I just I can't keep I don't know. I I can't keep letting this happen. I certainly just from the sheer volume of of conversations I've had today and personal knowledge, I can tell you that uh, cowardly though your actions may be, this is not your fault. There's a great deal of fault to be handed out here, I think. But I think that you must first understand uh, that what what you're dealing with, what you're trying to understand, what you're trying to know with whatever it is that's going on over there, it's not worth knowing. It's not worth understanding. If she told you to walk away, then you should probably walk away. And if you did by chance, go back over there and experience something that... Word of advice, my friend. Don't go down these paths. There's nothing good at the end of them. I unfortunately can't turn around now. So any help you might give me in terms of finding this Duke or this 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 Celeste or this anything would be much appreciated, but I must advise you uh, to keep your involvement to this very moment and no further. But doesn't that just... Doesn't that just make me weak? Doesn't that just mean that I, I'm failing her and I should be fighting for her? She deserves that. She needs me. No, she doesn't. She... Let me explain something to you. There's no strength in, in, in an unsolvable riddle. What, what, are, what, are you, what are you hoping to accomplish by walking down a path that has no end? There is no light at the end of it. There's no door to go through. You won't open it. You won't find her. You won't find anyone. So explain to me what the what the point of pursuing it any further would be then. Who are you again? Why are you here? <laughs> Why are you berating me <laughs> here in my shop? Why are you yelling at me? <laughs> Pardon me. And I look at him and I say, oh, my name's Donald Bray. Sorry, I should have introduced myself. Do you have it? Do you have any um, interpersonal skills? Donald. Yeah, in real life. Oh, no, clearly. <laughs> Any um, interpersonal investigative abilities? I have official dumb sculpture. <laughs> military history. Military history. No, I have. No, the only thing I would be able to, if he's, I could sense trouble because I have a sense trouble for sex. <laughs> right. He kind of, he kind of looks at you and says, "Yeah." I don't know. I just I just feel like I have to do something. And at that moment, an older man walks through one of the back doors and says, Albert, are you are you talking about Celeste again? Can't you just you just have to leave it alone, son. You just you just have to leave it alone. I'm sorry, sir. I I don't know if Albert is is bothering you or anything. Can can we help you? Do you do you need any flowers or anything? A bouquet uh, uh, for uh, an opening night. Absolutely. Um, romantic? Not romantic? Neutral. All right. And he puts something together for you. Um, and uh, 
and and hands it over to you and and takes your money and uh, and sends you on your way. Do you say any last things to Albert, or you just leave it <laughs> leave it where well, it was? I, I look him dead in the eyes and <laughs> say, "She's gone, Albert. Gone." And just walk out. All right. <laughs> Poor Albert. Albert's had a chance for Don here to play Mr. Steal Your Girl. <laughs> like, yeah, romantic. Fuck Flowers for opening night. Someone named Celeste. Poor, poor guy probably thinks that's what's happening. Like, this guy's coming yeah. to me now. He's like, what flowers does she like? <laughs> now I have two people who are stealing this woman from me. The Duke. Oh, no. <laughs> Duke and a man named Donald Braith. I did tell him my name, so he does know it. Yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> so we will switch over to to Francis and Monty. As you head back into the the more public areas of the theater, you know, there aren't too many people milling about. Uh, not a lot of guests have arrived, but there are ushers around. And there are definitely some kind of in the corridors that lead to the boxes. So how would you like to try to get to this uh, very wealthy man's private box? I mean, I think... First thought, best thought, right? <laughs> um, is that I have I have a skill of photography, and so I'm wondering if there's there's a way that like I can claim that we've been asked to document this beautiful box or its view or or something that would need us to to get access to the to the box. Yeah, it's 1895. I. You might need an assistant for photography. There's a lot of equipment hold the involved. Flash bulb so, thing. <laughs> yes, I'm, I could be your assistant, and we could photograph from the box. Maybe it's even one of the earlier photographs taken inside this uh, this theater. Mm, Who knows? Document this great this great achievement in architecture. Oh, I wish Donald were here. That's okay. So I think if you're going to try to convince an usher to let you into the box. That mm-hmm. I'm gonna need a push from one of you to okay. do the talking and kind of convince this usher that you belong here and that you've been asked to do something and that you, that, that they should let you in. Does the push automatically succeed, or is this? Yes, yes, push, yes, it would, okay. yes. It would. Yes, it would. Yeah. I've used one of mine already. I'm a little. I'm a little hesitant to use my second, but. I mean, I I have both negotiation and reassurance, so I could um. Yeah, I, I feel like reasonably I could use a push and sort of um, just say, you know, this is for documentary purposes. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Francis here is a wonderful, uh, w- one of the best photographers in the world, if I do say so myself. And oh, kind, she is going to be documenting the uh, interior of, uh, of the theater and kind of getting uh, photographs from different perspectives. Uh, and so this seems like a... This box seems like a perfect one for our purposes, and um, we just, you know, need to get in and, and take a few uh, quick photographs. Well, relatively quick, you understand. Photography is not an art that can be rushed. Um, and then we will be out of your hair. I'm surprised you didn't want to use your dead-eyed stare uh, intimidation push. That was that was my backup. That was my, the backup plan that I had. Was if, if like there was if we just did like a roll for reassurance or something, and it went bad, I was going to use intimidation. Uh, but, since we just got just got to use a regular push, I figured yes, just yes. do that and not deal with the like losing composure situation business. <laughs> yeah. So the so the usher says, well, yes, that's I believe that's fine, but please be quick. Uh, I I don't know if I don't know if anyone will be joining us that's using this box tonight, but please just just make it quick so that we aren't interrupting uh, interrupting anyone's enjoyment of the of the show. We'll be long gone, I assure you. All right. So you head in. And the first thing that hits you as soon as you enter into the box is that there is a strange scent permeating the box. You're not sure what it is. There's some a few different scents that you get. There's, you know, maybe some sort of flower, like an orchid, maybe cinnabar. And this, like, a very unsettling, off-putting, decaying smell. And... There's nothing in here, and so Francis, actually, with your fashion ability, you think that it has totally permeated the curtains and the upholstery in here, because otherwise mm-hmm. it should be, like, ventilated out, unless Certainly. there was, like, whatever the source of it was, was, like, sitting in here right now. But it's very, it's very off There doesn't appear to be anything sitting in here right now, is there? <laughs> it does not appear to be anything Great. in there at the moment, no. <laughs> Good gracious. 
Um, and I will confirm that just by wandering over to a, a curtain or something, because I imagine there's a little draw curtain somewhere on here to look fancy. And I'll sniff it, and it's it's strong in, in the curtain. It is strong in the curtain. The curtains are open, so you can kind of look out onto... You're looking out onto into the where the where the crowd will sit and onto the stage. But yes, it, it definitely smells like it's kind of permeated the curtain. <sighs> well, that's markedly unpleasant. Um... Looking out of the box, are there are there a good amount of like should we be putting on a show? <clears throat> excuse me, that we are doing the thing we're doing. Like, can I see people who would be able to see us in this box, or do we yeah. have a few moments where we're? Yeah, alone? there are definitely other ushers, a few people okay. who have come and sat down in their seats. So I mean, yeah, there, gotcha. people would people would be seeing you for sure. All right, okay. let's. Uh, I'll put up like set up one little stand or something yeah. for Francis's uh, camera. And, like, I I will take this picture. Like, I mean, God only knows what might show up, all things considered, but... And maybe, perhaps we can kind of um, take, uh, without being terribly noticed, take a couple of pictures of the box itself, mm-hmm. sort of almost like we're testing the camera out and then Absolutely. set it up for the exterior, for the view out from it. Sure. Sure. So as you're doing that, Francis, you are kind of, you're trying to kind of uh, subtly snap a few pictures that might give you views of the box in the future. And I think you're kind of, you're channeling your inner Donald a little bit. You're like trying to get a <laughs> sense of, you know, cause you see this one door to get in here. There's like a, you know, you're already suspicious. You kind of look around to see if there's any other way that you might get into this kind box. of feeling if there's any mm-hmm. drapery kind of seeing if there are anything behind exactly. chairs, anything. And so you look up and there's a, a metal heating grid, and it has a lyre design on the, on it. But you kind of look behind the heating grid, and you're thinking about this because the scent is so strong in here, and you're like, oh, like shouldn't this be some sort of ventilation? And you look behind the grid, and it's much larger behind that, that heating grid than it should be. Like someone could crawl up into that and move around as if it was designed to be both a ventilation system and perhaps a way to move in and out of this box. Well, it's uh, just just so I have a sense of it. Sorry. Is the grid uh, is this heating grid on the ceiling or high on the wall? High on the wall. High on the wall. Yeah. All right. Okay. And then I'll, I'll nudge Monty and I'll, I'll point it out to him and say, I think we've solved at least one aspect of this. Didn't they say that the, the Duke managed to suddenly appear suddenly in, from this box or something when he was unexpected, or or not it the Duke, the person in the mask. The person in the mask, who may or may not be the Duke, perhaps an agent of the Duke or some other relation. Who may or may not need a bath. It's terrible in here. I don't, I don't understand what this is. We still have a little time, but I don't know that I want to go exploring through a ventilation <laughs> shaft right at this moment. Um, mm, mm. Fair enough. Especially, hopefully, if we'll have a little time later, perhaps, either after the show tonight, or maybe at a future point, if we can leverage um, our friend again to, to be able to be here in the theater. Well, two of us came in, I suspect two of us need to, to exit, or that usher will. I agree. That's That certainly <gasps> would be a... <laughs> Raise a stink. Figuratively and literally. All right. I assume there's nothing else that we notice, either from the box or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, not... Not particularly. So do you want to kind of take the information you've gathered and and call that a at least a partial success for now and, and move out? Unfortunately, I believe we are missing our architectural expert who could tell us where that vent might, like, logically might go. Certainly. Um, before we before we exit, I, I am... Is it possible to, to take the usher, not necessarily take them aside, but to... To ask, do you happen to know if this box is is reserved for this evening? Do people... I mean, I can't help but notice there's a bit of a whiff. Do people like sitting in that box? I don't spend much time thinking about those things. This is this box belongs to the Duke de Rudier. It, oh. I, if he or any of his guests decide to use it tonight, uh, we wouldn't know that until they arrived. Certainly. So it's constantly reserved for for his use. Yes, he, he owns the box. I see. Thank you. You've been most helpful. Um, these photographs will be exquisite, if I do say so myself. Much obliged. Um, and I'll give the usher a bit of a tip. Excellent. Why not? 
All right, let's let's go find our architect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so some uh, somehow I would say, you know, I don't know whether D- Donald like bursts through the back door and demands to find Monty Kool-Aid Francis man style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but somehow I would say the three of you are able to meet back up probably in probably backstage. So we'll we we can we can kind of pick back up there where where the three of you are coming back together. Can I as as we see Donald again? I mean, Francis does have pretty good intuition. Like, if she looks at Donald, can she intuit that, like, his attitude has changed at all? Or does he seem to be in the same state that he left? What do you think, Donald? He's probably walking up with purpose in his step. They probably know he's about to tell them something. He probably does look different when he's engaged with something when he's disengaged. So my guess would be, yeah, because he's probably Hmm. not good at... I mean, he's not very good at social cues anyway, so my guess would be he's walking over there with, like, a purpose. So they think, oh, he's at least got something to say. Donald, Flowers, you don't need to, you don't need to apologize with those. We appreciate it, but thank you. They're not, they're not for you. Or for you. I'm sorry. They're for, I I spoke to the the priest. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm here to help, and, and I, I stopped over, there was a, a, clerk at the flower store who uh, had a relationship with our leading lady and spoke not not rather complimentary of, of the Duke. It almost seems he's something of a... I don't know if, if, if either of you had a chance to read the wonderful Du Maurier novel that was published this year, Trilby, but he's a bit of a Svengali. Not yet. Haven't gotten to it. Svengali. <laughs> I might be the first person to make this illusion. Many people will make it in later years, but I'm the first. <laughs> Donald Braith. He's a Svengali. If only I had the cultural context to understand. It, it was one but of the most so popular new. novels of its time, as Wikipedia told me, so you might have read it. <laughs> it's, it's on my bedside table. I just haven't gotten to it yet. There's been so much to do. So much angst. But he, he seems to be a bit of a controlling figure, has a, a control on his... his Ah, well, nothing new to us. What did you two find in your amateur gum showing? Well, we we've been in the box. We've been to the box, and it's it's a bit whiffy. It it's terrible. But there's there's a terrible smell. But there's there are, there's clearly a way to get out of it. That is not the door or jumping over the balcony railing. There's a, you can use the air ducts somehow. It seems. Yes, yeah, it's some sort of heat element there, high in the wall, and it looked uh, larger behind it, almost as if one could use it to crawl in and out of, like an entrance. Does is there anything about that that uh, rings, uh, you know, rings a bell for you, or is something that you would understand, like where the where that might even lead to? Just I know you you know buildings far better than either myself or Francis here. Well. Francis probably second, uh, me the least. She can paint them after all, at least. So I think the thing that would stick out in your mind, Donald, from kind of from your architecture knowledge, is that if there is if the heating and ventilation ducts are also hidden passageways, that's a very scary thing because it pretty much means that someone, if they were in there, could be listening and seeing things all over the theater without anyone else knowing it. Yeah, so I'd probably get really paranoid. Probably my eyes go real big. And I look at both of them, and I say something to along the lines of, as far as I know, that's standard in most theaters like this. <laughs> and I try to kind of give him a face like... Yeah. Francis Mm-mm. picks up on something. Uh, I see. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Good to know. Um, we we did also talk to our friend Xavier. Xavier, rather. And um, it's... Gosh, I... It's, it's a strange situation. He's also being directed um, precisely in, in what to do. And, you know, chafing, as anyone, as anyone would in that circumstance. The the artistic director Lawson Lawson New or Larson No Lawson New Lawson New yeah Lawson New is um, apparently uh, sort of micromanaging. What what I am picking up on based on our uh, based on our discussion with Brisson and our discussion with Monsieur Lesouche, 
It seems to me as though everyone who is conscripted to work on this particular performance, it's having, let's call it a deleterious effect on their mental health. Mm. Um, everyone seems to be very worn down, but still they are pushing to, to get this performance completed and, and get it staged. Um, despite the fact that all of them seem to be, um, at, at minimum, very anxious about it. And, uh, well, we saw how our friend Brisson was reacting. They all seem to be struggling. There's something very unusual with, with this singer, Celeste. There was some sort of mention. She's in the she's in the show tonight. She's in this, the opera they're doing tonight. Plucked from obscurity, I think. And is she's the one who's set to, to be the lead and is, has some sort of tutor. And I, I, again, I, now that, like, that, now that she's come up, obviously, I'm a little more, like, fidgety, but I, I, in a way that, like, suggests, like, let's, like, like, let's think here for a minute about the, the layout and what we're dealing with. I say, like, well, oftentimes when nobility is, is involved, they put quite a bit of expectation on their performances. There's quite a bit of import to them, and I'm sure there's method to all of it. And we must just perhaps enjoy a, a performance tonight and see if we can't see the, yes. the fruits of the labor. Don, should we, should, perhaps we should all step outside and we can return for a performance later tonight? That sounds like quite a good idea. <laughs> all right, so the three of you make your way back outside uh, where where I think Donald probably feels like you can speak a little more freely. Don, that was so strange. That wasn't like you at all. What was going on in there? I have to... Oh, the events of that size, the threat that that poses in terms of the, the ability someone would have to move around unnoticed to be able to listen in and see. So someone could have been watching. Someone could have been watching and listening and observing. Someone could have been watching you two in that box. So I hope... And I trust that there was a cover story that was acted accordingly upon because events of that size in a building like that, 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 that we must watch everything that we say and do in that place. Trust me, there's no space that would necessarily be safe from, if, if it's a complex system and if it's as large as you say it is and a human can pretty easily move in and out, then... We might be dealing with quite a bit of resistance and quite a bit of observation in anything that we do, and we must be mindful of that. I mean, to be to be frank, are we just dealing with a creep? Like, this duke seems terrible, and he, he seems to know things that he shouldn't he shouldn't know, but I mean so far I'm getting a peeping Tom vibe more than anything, and a, a rich patron of the arts who've decided that like now is the time for his money to buy him his pet project i don't i i mean obviously there's there's more to it because he's he's got this connection but this is very this is not what i was expecting francis if if the duke de rudier is a peeping tom that is so far down the list in the <laughs> least problematic behaviors that he exhibits as to be almost unnoticeable. Uh, Fair given enough. Given what I have heard about what he likes to engage in um, through some contacts of mine, I wouldn't trust a single thing that that man does. Uh, and I suspect we would be... I suspect we would be horrified by any of his behavior. Certainly when he is coming in here to the opera, there's more to it than just being a peeping Tom. If what we're thinking is true, we saw what this undue influence did to a a timid organist. What what exactly mm. do we think it would do to a depraved sadist? That's a very good point. A very good point. Very, very, very good. Yes, we, 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 we agree. No, I just, it's, I don't know. This, this is, it, for six months, I've honestly been expecting this pretty much every day that ends in Y, at least in English. I guess in French, it stays at end in many different letters. I don't, Ugh. I never, I never learned. <laughs> if they end, do they end in I? I don't remember. <laughs> some of them do, some I. of them don't. Lundi, uh, Mardi, Mercredi, uh, etc. Dimanche, I know is one, but I don't Dimanche, remember which yes, one it okay. is. Um, regardless, I've, I've been that's expecting true, this. <laughs> I've been expecting this somehow, but I, I wasn't expecting it like this. 
Donald has nothing because he just he hates that he's in again and he keeps vacillating but he knows like hmm. he's in but he's not going he's just like oh I can't believe we're here like, <laughs> <laughs> stuck in this oh, well alright would we like to um, I, I, I assume there's still an hour or two before the performance something like yeah, that yeah I would say about an hour or so yeah my friends, this may be the last opportunity we have to uh, simply get a drink and sit together in relative quiet and peace. Should we do that before we um, catch this wonderful performance and listen to uh, this young lady, Celeste, perform and demonstrate for us why she got the lead? I mean, I'm not opposed. Sounds like a fine idea, Monty. All right. <laughs> we'll just find a, a cafe or something where we can just sit... And uh, honestly, and if it's all right with the both of you, I know it's uh, it might, might be nearly impossible to do. Why don't we just talk about something else for a time, anything else, while we uh, enjoy some drinks here in the cafe? How much? Um, how much are you gonna drink, Monty? <laughs> Monty. Another well, you know, question. Monty. Once he gets started, um, <laughs> it's like a no. shark with blood. <laughs> Monty enjoys a drink, but he also knows if there is important work to be done, he he kind of has a sense of where his limit is. Um, <laughs> there's an extent to it's worse because where it's worse because he's not like an alcoholic in the full like full addictive sense. He likes to get drunk. He he knows where his threshold is and he likes to push past it. Um, but it also means that when the time comes. Uh, he also has a fairly good sense of where his cutoff is. So he has one, maybe two drinks of wine, I think. Okay, okay. Anybody else drinking more heavily than that? Hmm. I don't, I don't is know. Is the temptation I, there? <laughs> the temptation's there. Mm-hmm. The temptation's there. Like, I don't... I don't know how hard Francis used to drink. But I, I, do, I do think it's probably increased. Uh, you know what I'll say? I'll say she, go, she matches what Monty drinks but it probably hits her a little harder. Okay. Well, then why don't, you, why don't we do our first roll? We're, in, we're in, oh, nearing the end of episode Francis three. Let's do our first roll. roll. <laughs> uh, so why don't, you give me, why don't you give me a health test? All right. You can, add, you can add as much as you would like. Let me know how many points you want to spend, and then you're going to roll a d6. And these dice are cold, man. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't yeah. got a chance to roll better, them yet. Better to heat them up this way, I think, yeah. than, <laughs> than in other ways, I think. Yeah, then like a gargoyle man is biting your face. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't oh gosh, I don't know. I have so I have three in health, and I don't know if now is the time to spend them. But Oh if Francis is drunk at the performance, who cares? <laughs> you know what? Fair. Hopefully there'll be time to sober up. Um so I'm not gonna spend anything. I'm just gonna roll okay. and see what happens. Um I got a three. You got a three. So the difficulty level was four. <laughs> uh and so when you when you only fail by one, you get the minor card, which in this case is uh tipsy. Excellent. That's <laughs> so good. <laughs> I'm so excited. So it's an injury. It's one of the injury ones. It is an injury. Excellent. I kind of forgot that the uh, <laughs> there probably would be a card kind of penalty. To pay. <laughs> I didn't think there would be a card for just drinking a little too much. So. You gotta. You, it's been a rough time. I, I gotta. I gotta get the tension up a little bit here. I love it. I love it's it. Great. I, I it's great. It's great. All right. So I've just given you the tipsy card, Francis. Can you read that <gasps> for us, please? Yes. So tipsy, it's an injury. Non-lethal, but a negative one to tests. On a failed test, make a bad drunk decision. Discard after (laughs) two hours world time or after a test to avoid injury. Amazing. Amazing. Incredible. So just for the record, that is Francis's first and only injury card and the only other card that's in play is Monty's continuity card Dead-Eyed Stare mm-hmm. which he Two still holds on to. completely equal, yeah. equal yeah. effects. So everything's fine right now. Everything's fine. Everybody in the Pellier Grand Garnier getting tipsy. <laughs> um all right so you you all you sit you have a few drinks you perhaps try to chat about things that are not related to this craziness probably somewhat successfully and probably somewhat not successfully are you planning to watch the opera from 
backstage from seats? Are you going to get tickets? I think backstage, because we're not dressed. If we can manage it, if if the kind of pass that we have with uh, with our friend Xavier still holds, and we can be backstage without drawing suspicion, I think that Ooh. would be that would be good. I think when you go back there, he said, "I thought I might see you three, and he hands you tickets to go sit up in the balcony. <laughs> hmm. Okay. In the balcony, uh, in where in relation to the Duke's box? You would have a, a a reasonable view of it. Okay. Okay. So we can keep eyes on both the stage and perhaps glancing over at the Duke's box to see if anything strange happens that over there. And I remind them because my paranoia is coming in handy. I'm just like, you know, as we get the tickets, be like, these this could be by chance and this could be by design. Mm. Assume the worst, hope for the best. When you make your way to your seats, Donald, you do actually feel somewhat more comfortable because they're kind of in the middle of a row, and so mm-hmm. they're not near any walls or anything like that, which probably makes you feel slightly yeah. less on edge yeah. for the moment. Check under the seats for any vents. Yeah, yeah. Donald, <laughs> you also, um, you're the one who knows this opera, right? Because you, be, be, being the culture expert of the group, mm-hmm. for, for better or worse, the culture expert of the group, so you know that L.A. is an infrequently mounted opera from a composer named Etienne Joseph Floquet, or Floquet. Uh, when it debuted in 1779, more than 100 years before, before you're seeing it, the audience booed and it closed after three performances. It's set in mythic Greece, and it revolves around a love triangle between a dispossessed princess, the ruthless queen of Thebes, and a handsome young fellow who, who turns out to be Neptune. Hell yes! Hell yes! Let's watch <laughs> and, this opera. <laughs> and what I think would most strike you is that it's—I mean, it's—it's it's old fashioned. It's unpopular. It's a very strange decision for the Palais Garnier to revive. No. You also, all three of you, when you uh, when you give your tickets to the usher, you are provided with a program, and you see that Celeste is playing the minor role of Ismini, uh, who is the daughter of Oedipus. And I turned to both of them as we were walking in. And, you should know that this opera is is truly dreadful. I'm so excited. <laughs> Going now, to is the that, opera. Uh, just to clarify, is it because it is an opera or or, <laughs> or is the quality of the opera actually that bad? That is a, a good question, but I would say this one appears to be particularly dreadful. Well, I'm just happy that we're all going to get to see it together. <laughs> says the tipsy Francis amazing um, alright so you take your seats and bef- not before not too uh, before too long the uh, the opera starts what are you all doing as the opera is is going on um, you know maybe Francis are you are you like fully in are you like so folk like you get so swept up in the opera that you're that you're or what kind of what's what what's your what are all of you doing during the performance Good question. Donald's probably looking around until the, if then when the actress comes on stage, he's probably pretty locked into that. But until that, he's probably just kind of like looking around for anything. Sure. I would, Monty would um, keep eyes on the Duke's box as much as he could, but he also is very interested to hear uh, Celeste's performance here to see if she is as shaky in her performance as everyone else seems to think that she is. I'm, I'm going to engage primarily probably in the old theatrical pastime of people watching. I'm going to check out all the boxes that I can see. I'm going to just be kind of looking around the whole time, you know, bobbing my head to the music, jamming. It's great. But yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I, I'm really going to be compelled by this particular story. Sure, sure, sure. So Francis, as you're starting to kind of look around at all of the boxes as the performance is beginning, you see that... There are some empty boxes, and the curtains are open, but the Duke's box, the curtains, unlike what they were when you were in there, have been drawn. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> hmm. Do you point that out to your companions? Yeah, I, I'm sure I probably nudge both of you and say far too loudly, Oh, his curtains! Or, you can't, can't see anything! Don't look, don't look, don't look at it, don't look at it, don't look at it, don't look at it. But it's there! Yes! You can't see! There are curtains on the stage, yes. <laughs> it is indeed curtains for whoever would disrespect this performance. <laughs> oh! 
<laughs> Donald, when and you, look, when you look over, you see this and you're kind of thinking about it. And you know that it's kind of older tradition in the, in the opera that boxes would come with curtains as a nod to the days when lovers used to tryst during performances, but that this hasn't been kind of a custom since the days of the Sun King. So it, it would be a, someone would be reviving an old practice if that was actually what was going on here. Yeah. So I make a, um, I turn up sitting next to Monty, I imagine, and I say to him, like, do you know why they used to keep the curtains closed in these, when the day, way back when? Um, some sort of illicit activity? I'm not sure. Yeah, good guess. Uh, let's, let's hope those curtains don't pop open at any point tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the performance starts. It's not very good. The performances are fine. The, you know, the actual score and, and libretto themselves are not, uh, not amazing. You can see why some may have booed. It's not the, it's not the best story <laughs> you've ever heard. I will say, like, when, when the, the first backdrop comes on, like, Francis will say, that's gorgeous work. <laughs> like, really loudly. <laughs> I, out of curiosity, during the performance, does anyone else react negatively in the audience? Are there any boos or anything like that? Certainly not immediately. And before not too long, uh, you see Celeste come onto the stage. Uh, you're able to pretty easily pick her out. She looks a, she looks quite a bit like the person on the poster, and you know what role she's playing. Donald, as you study her, you know it's not you're you're pretty far away, so it's hard to tell exactly. But she doesn't really look like your sister. It's almost as if the the poster is like this strange amalgamation of your sister and this woman, where like the features that overlapped are included and. Then it's some of your sister's features and some of her features, like they like they've been merged into one person on the fo- on the the poster. That probably weird me out. I wouldn't say anything though, but I'd probably be like, <laughs> I don't like this at all. Look closer, Don. Are you doing? Are you doing all right? It just uh, looks nothing like she does on the poster. And she does look a bit different. I have to say, I see some of the, some of the features are sort of the same, but it's uh, it's not not the best likeness I've ever seen painted, certainly. Francis just starts giggling. It's like, apparently not everybody can be good at portraits. <laughs> refined art. <laughs> Donald would laugh. He Even he would be like. <laughs> so, again, before, not, you know, uh, before too long, Celeste has her first uh, singing part of the, of, the, of the opera. And she falters a little bit when she first starts to sing. And you start to hear kind of mumblings and grumblings from the crowd because many of them probably know that she is slated to lead the upcoming performance and almost immediately her posture like stiffens she like gets into more of what you would consider like a traditional singing pose and she starts to recover a little bit her her performance starts to improve uh, and she sings well if not spectacularly monty you know, I think I think Donald is probably pretty fixated on watching Celeste as she performs. But you, as she's singing, kind of glance over at the Duke's box, and you see a gloved hand that parts the curtain slightly when she's singing. And as soon as she finishes, the curtain closes again. And that is where we are going to end our story for now. He's there, the phantom of the opera. (laughs) Oh, of course he was in there. Of course he was. This podcast was created using the Yellow King RPG by Pelgrane Press and is based on an adventure written by Robin D. Laws called Ghosts of the Garnier, both used under the Pelgrane Press limited community use policy, along with the music from the Yellow King Suite, written by James Semple. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the nature of my game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or at nomgpodcast.com. To support us on Patreon, please visit www.patreon.com slash nomgpodcast.